There is one thing in life we all know for sure, death. Yet for Julian Assange, there's a second, persecution. Julian Assange is an Australian national and world-renowned watchdog journalist. The winner of almost 20 awards, Assange has been honored by publications and organizations such as The Economist, Time Magazine, and the People's Choice Awards. His work in exposing wrongdoing can be compared to few, but the United States has silenced Assange. While Assange lays dying in a London jail, U.S. prosecutors baselessly attempt to extradite him to charge him with crimes under a law intended for government employees. The persecution and prosecution of Assange should scare anyone. Journalists are needed in this world. Journalists expose wrongdoing. They call out corruption. But the United States has now begun to attempt to silence the truth. This is Jill, Julian Assange, and the future of watchdog journalism. Hello, everyone. My name is Joe Moronsky, and you are listening to The Political Informant. So I'm coming to you today with a little bit of a different episode than usual. Uh, Recently, I had the opportunity to present my research titled Jail, Julian Assange, and the Future of Watchdog Journalism at the National Conference on Undergraduate Research. United States vs. Julian Assange is a very complex case. Things are changing daily. There's still extradition trials going on in London, Um, but it's one of those cases that has the potential to change journalism as we know it. You know, as a journalist, I don't use the terms unprecedented and potential to change the world lightly. You know, few things uh, fall under both of those categories, but this case is definitely one of them, and it's something everybody should be aware of. So we're going to talk a little bit about it, go through some of the stuff, and hopefully by the end of this episode, uh, you have a better understanding of this case and are as passionate about following this case as I am. Before we can get into things and really understand this case, there are some terms that I do have to define for you so it makes sense as we go along. So what is a significant activity report? These are reports that are often filed early after an event happens, uh, mainly in war, to log what happened. It can be something like a kidnapping, a bombing, a shooting, um, but it's really something just so that there's a record of any event that happens. Detainee assessment briefs are briefs that are filed by commanders and they outline whether prisoners should be held or released and ranks their threat to the United States and its allies. Guantanamo Bay is a camp that was established by President George W. Bush in 2002 during the height of the War on Terror, and it holds prisoners suspected as high threats to the United States. In many court proceedings, this is referred to as Gitmo or GTMO. And lastly, watchdog journalism. This is my favorite thing in the world, if we're being completely honest. Uh, It's exposing government wrongdoing, wrongdoing in companies, Um, Through the interviews of public figures, gathering evidence, and overall it increases accountability. Watchdog journalism has a very rich history dating back uh, to the 18th century. Um, Ida Harbell exposing the wrongdoings of the Standard Oil Company. Um, 
and much, much more from there. But this is one of the most protected forms of journalism as it is so important to the functionings of our society. So now that we've defined those terms, we can really get into this case. So let's start with a simple question. Who is Julian Assange? Quite frankly, a lot of people don't know who this man is. Uh, It's just a name, and they could not tell you who he is. But when you hear the company he runs, I can assure you, you will know. Julian Assange has been the public face and editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks since at least 2007. He's responsible responsible for exposing war crimes and government abuses across the world, and his most well-known piece is something by the name of Collateral Murder. Now, it's not necessarily well-known to your average citizen, uh, but to anti-war groups and many journalists, this is really what put him on the radar, and it also put him on the radar of the United States government. Uh, In this piece, which I should note is extremely hard to watch, you can find it online, um, but it is very hard to watch. Uh, It's footage from a United States helicopter, And essentially, they claim that somebody's holding an RPG, uh, and they shoot down an entire crowd of people standing on the street. Um, It was later found out that these were medics, a reporter for Reuters, and just citizens. And what they said was an RPG was actually a camera on the man's shoulder. Um, They then fly away and laugh about it. Um, And it really was one of those things that, like I said, put Assange on the radar of the United States government. He's also responsible for the leaks of Hillary Clinton's emails in 2016, uh, and that is important to note. We'll get into that a little bit later. But more important to remember is that he is an Australian citizen. You'll understand in a little bit why this is important, but Julian Assange was born and raised in Australia. Um, He's not a United States citizen. So what got us to where we are now? Well, Assange worked closely with somebody by the name of Chelsea Manning, then Brady Manning, to gain access to Army intelligence. Manning was an Army intelligence analyst in Iraq, and they communicated via Jabber, uh, which was a secure, encrypted uh, communications platform where they could talk. Through this, Assange was able to get access to approximately 90,000 Afghanistan war-related significant activity reports, approximately 400,000 Iraq war-related significant activity reports, approximately 800 Guantanamo Bay detainee assessment briefs, and approximately 250,000 U.S. Department of State cables. Um, This did not happen overnight. This took time, um, and they did communicate for months on end. Chelsea Manning did have a top-secret security clearance, which is higher than a secret security clearance, and it's important to note that. Most, if not 95% of the documents that Manning provided Assange were classified as secret pursuant of President Obama's executive order number 13526. But like I said, top secret is greater than uh, than secret clearance, and therefore Manning did have access to these documents. So under the Obama administration, an investigation did begin into this leak. You know, Assange had leaked these documents. Where did he get them? What happened? Um, And how did all of this information get out? Eventually, they did find out uh, Manning was prosecuted. um, And under the Obama administration, the investigation against Assange was halted due to the implications of prosecuting a foreign journalist. Um, But in 2016, the Trump administration reopened this investigation. And former CIA director Mike Pompeo is quoted as saying, quote, We have to recognize that we can no longer allow Assange and his colleagues the latitude to use free speech values against us, end quote. 
During the initial investigation, Assange took refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, um, and he was there for over seven years. He had a case ongoing in Sweden, uh, where there were rape allegations against him. That case was eventually dropped uh, due to lack of evidence, and the story could not be corroborated. Um, But eventually, a new administration came into Ecuador, and he was forced out of the embassy. There's videos online of this you can look up. Um, It's a a little crazy to watch. Um, Assange would not walk out of the embassy, uh, and in fact was carried out by the royal police, um, refusing to leave on his own free will. While he was in refuge, however, the CIA and other intelligence agencies spied on him, and there's footage of him um, doing basic tasks, using the bathroom, working out, riding a skateboard. You know, like I said, he could not leave this this embassy. He was locked in for over seven years. Um, So he found ways, which might be weird to some of us, skateboarding inside, but, you know, he had to do something. But it's also important to note, some of the things that they spied on were conversations between Assange and his lawyer, uh, which regardless of where this took place, the spying, um, if we want to try him in the United States, none of that can be used as evidence uh, because it's obviously a breach of his Fifth Amendment rights. Upon being forced out, he was arrested and has remained in prison uh, at HMP Belmarsh ever since. HLP Belmarsh is essentially the most secure prison in London. Um, So let's break down the indictment a little bit. He has been charged with 18 crimes under the Espionage Act of 1917. He's been charged with one count of conspiracy to access a computer without information, without authorization and exceeding authorized access to obtain classified national defense information, one count of conspiracy to obtain and disclose national defense information, one count of conspiracy to commit computer intrusions, six counts of obtaining national defense information, and nine counts of disclosure of national defense information, all under the Espionage Act of 1917. So like I said, Assange has been charged under the Espionage Act of 1917, but what is the Espionage Act of 1917? Well, this was designed to prevent government employees from sharing national security information. It was written during World War I and the Red Scare, uh, which was, of course, when there was the fear of communism throughout the United States. The counterpart to this was the Sedition Act of 1918, and it extended the penalties under the Espionage Act to private citizens. However, Congress repealed this in 1920 over fears of the First Amendment effects it had. So currently... Assange is locked in a maximum security prison in London in total isolation. His doctor has stated he'll not live much longer due to the isolation and conditions. But the United States is currently attempting to extradite Assange to face trial. A London judge, though, issued a 132-page ruling denying the request. Uh, And there's, there's one quote in there that really stands out. And it says, quote, Faced with the conditions of near-total isolation, without the protective factors which limited his risk at HMP Belmarsh, I am satisfied the procedures described by the U.S. will not prevent Mr. Assange from finding a way to commit suicide. And for this reason, I have decided extradition would be oppressive by reason of mental harm, end quote. The United States is now appealing this decision, and the judge ordered Assange remains in prison until the appeals are finished, rightfully so. I mean, he did seek refuge uh, in the Ecuadorian embassy for seven years, 
you know, nobody could get to him just, just a little bit of time, but obviously he does have to remain in custody, uh, due to being a flight risk, but things are changing. You know, as I said, this is being appealed. Charges are still being pursued. Many people thought, uh, president Trump would pardon Assange. He didn't. Many people thought president Biden would end the investigation. He didn't. This is all an ongoing matter. And very complex, but Assange does have a couple defense avenues uh, that are somewhat promising, in all honesty. So, like I mentioned before, Chelsea Manning was convicted. Um, Manning was convicted of 17 of the 22 counts she was charged with in July of 2013 and sentenced to 35 years in prison. However, this sentence was commuted by President Obama, and Manning was released in 2017. Manning was charged under the Espionage Act of 1917. Manning was a government employee. That makes sense. But Assange is not a U.S. citizen or a government employee. So how can he be charged under an act designed to prosecute a U.S. citizen who is a government employee when he fits under neither of those categories? If that doesn't work as a defense avenue, there's plenty case precedent. New York Times v. United States is also referred to as the Pentagon Papers case, and it essentially stated that journalists can't be punished for publishing information that they did not retrieve. So regardless of if this is classified information, illegally uh, intercepted information, if the journalist didn't get it, how can they be published for it? Um, This is a case where essentially, you know, the United States tried to prevent the publication of these papers. Um, And it's important to note, though, that the court didn't necessarily say in the future, you can't stop a journalist from publishing anything. The court just said, in this particular instance, you did not give us sufficient evidence uh, that this this is not something that can be published. And Justice Hugo Black um, said something very important. He essentially stated that You know, the government is asking the courts to say that in the name of national security, the First Amendment doesn't apply. But there's no definition of national security. That's a very vague term. Always has been. Um, But how can the court decide what national security means? Um, And national security can't just be used when it's convenient. So, Yes, there's case precedent in that sense, uh, but it's not a firm case precedent. There's also the case of Bartnicki v. Voper, uh, which was a 2001 civil case, and essentially a radio host aired an illegally recorded phone call, but the court said that, quote, the First Amendment protects the disclosure of illegally intercepted communications by parties who did not participate in the illegal interception, end quote. Now, that's, again, kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, Assange technically didn't get the information. However, Assange coerced Manning to give him the information. The counter to that, that's what all good journalists do, especially watchdog journalists. Your job is to coerce and coax uh, sources to trust you and provide you with information. So technically, Assange did what his job is. And lastly, if none of those defenses work, there's one more, mens rea. Now, this is guilty mind or intent. When charges were brought against two employees of the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee and eventually dropped, the court stated that the prosecution must prove intent to harm the United States and its security. Why is this important? 
Well, Assange is a watchdog journalist and has said since the beginning his intent was never to harm the United States, any military officers, or national security. It was simply to expose wrongdoing so people could see it. So, as I said, Complex Case has the potential to change journalism as we know it, but let's dive into the implications of a conviction. Well, first of all, there's less accountability. Journalists will now be able to be prosecuted prosecuted using the term national security, therefore decreasing government accountability. Now, this doesn't mean the government's going to prosecute every single journalist who does something they don't like, um, but it, it does create case precedent that could be used in the future. It also devalues the First Amendment. The court is now forced to determine when the First Amendment should and shouldn't be applied, and when national security um, means that the First Amendment essentially is null and void. And this is very dangerous. You know, the First Amendment protects speech, religion, assembly, the press. Just because we're saying, hey, you can't publish that in the name of national security, speech, protest, assembly, religion, all technically fall under the same category. Um, So that creates case precedent to say, hey, what you did or what you said or what your religion believes, uh, you know, national security. Um, And that's very dangerous. That's rough waters. That doesn't, again, doesn't mean that they will, but it just opens the door. It also opens the door for prosecution of journalists. Journalists and other public figures can now be prosecuted for publishing information deemed national security related, but again, there's no standard. What is national security related? What does that mean? Do we now as journalists have to call the government to make sure we can publish something before we publish it? You know, we're entering very rough waters. Most recently, a journalist was prosecuted for covering Black Lives Matter protests over the summer. You know, they were standing behind the police line, and then the police said, nope, We want you to move. The journalist tried to move and then was arrested. (laughs) I mean, that's the short version of the story, but that's dangerous. That is very dangerous. And it is very important we remember that journalists are needed. You know, regardless of what you think about the media currently, uh, journalists are needed. And yes, there might be biased opinions out there. There might be biased journalists out there. But there's just as many, if not more, journalists reporting the truth. You just have to find them. You just have to find them. Foreign journalists now have no protections. You know, we're prosecuting an Australian journalist. Are we going to prosecute more foreign journalists? But even more so, are American journalists going to be prosecuted by foreign countries now? You know, if we have a journalist covering a war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan, will they get in trouble for trying to cover what's going on because the government or a foreign government doesn't like what they're saying, we do enter very dangerous, very rocky waters. A conviction is scary. A conviction, yeah, it's a it's a crazy uh, to think that a journalist could be prosecuted for this. But, you know, to the same token, it's important to note, yeah, Assange did probably publish information he shouldn't have. Uh, he published a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. People got hurt because of what he published. I completely understand that. Um, So there is a double-edged sword. If you convict him, we have 
terrible news for journalism. If you let him go, does that open the door for journalists to now just do whatever they want? You know, I said this is a very complex case. I'm not going to lie. But it's one of those let's weigh the pros and cons. No matter what, somebody's going to be unhappy. No matter what, a conviction or non-conviction is going to have implications. But what is worse for the future of the United States? For those of you who have listened to The Political Informant before, you know that there's one thing I hate more than anything in life, and that's journalists inserting their opinion into a conversation or coverage. However, this is something I'm very passionate about, uh, so I'm going to be very point blank right now. What we have spoken about so far is the facts of the case. What we're about to speak about is how I feel about the case. So if you don't want to hear my opinion, if you don't care about my opinion, feel free to turn off this this podcast, uh, and I will not be upset. I completely understand. Again, I'm a journalist. My job is not to give you my opinion. But we're going to take off the journalist app for a second. I delivered the unbiased truth about this case, and now I'm going to give you my opinions. Quite frankly, this case scares me. As somebody who wants to go into investigative journalism, it's terrifying to think that there is a possibility I do something that maybe pisses somebody off and that's the end of it. You know, regardless of if there's a conviction, we're now at a point where Assange has been sitting in a jail cell by himself dying. So the United States won. If he's convicted or not, the U.S. won. He's silenced. He can't do anything from a jail cell. What is he supposed to do? There's no Wi-Fi in jail. You know, he is cut off. He's not publishing anything. He's not exposing what's going on. So, you know, in my book, at least, that's a victory for the United States, regardless of which way, you, if you believe he should be convicted or not, by having him sit in a jail cell, he's being silenced, period. End of story. There's no argument about that. Um, but that's also very scary. You know, he truly is a journalist second to none. Um, he has put out plenty of pieces that he gets praised for. Uh, but right now, people are distancing themselves. Um, when he was seeking refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy for years and years and years, he was on all the mainstream media. He was doing interviews with ABC, NBC, CBC. You know, this was like the story. And now he's kind of just in the corner. You know, I think that this is a case we should all be concerned about. If he's convicted, things look bad. If he's set free, things look bad. There's no good outcome in this situation. There really isn't. Um, and and that's one of the reasons an indictment was never filed years ago. Um, there's been two indictments because the first one was terrible. There's been plenty of trials because things don't go in the way that people want it to go. Um, but at what point is the United States going to sit back and say, we don't really have a case. We're charging him under something that he doesn't fall under. I don't know if they're going to sit back and think that at all, because I don't know that that's their goal. Um, it's unfortunate, but we do live in a society and a country where the goals of the government aren't always in the best interest of the people, but the best interest of themselves. It scares me to know that there's politicians directing these investigations. 
It scares me to know that Assange is blamed for Hillary Clinton's loss in 2016, regardless of who you supported in the 2016 election. One man can't be blamed for a loss. Come on, that's just unrealistic. He's not the sole reason Hillary Clinton lost. He's just an easy scapegoat. So we can't blame him. But the same politicians who are angry at him and blame him for this loss are the ones who are guiding and directing this investigation. That's a problem. Hi, conflict of interest. How are you? (laughs) I mean, it's right in your face. Uh, And it's one of those cases that I sit back and I look at and... I wonder what will happen in years to come. My first published piece was an investigation on the mental health effects of COVID-19 on LGBTQ plus youth in specific. I go to school in the South. I know that's controversial to some Americans. That's not necessarily something people want to talk about. So where does this go? You know, just because somebody doesn't like what I wrote, I'm now public enemy number one. Um, so it does. It's a, it is a scary, scary double-edged sword. Regardless of which way this goes, what you believe should happen, this is scary. Um, you know, it's something that I think will will be in the history books. Uh, well, let me take that back. I don't know if it'll be in the history books because nobody's talking about it right now. Uh, but it should be in the history books. But anyway... As you all know, I hate putting my opinion into things. Um, that's why I save this for the end. You know, I I can assure you that everything I presented to you was unbiased. I did not, you know, when I was doing this research, removed my opinion. I actually didn't have an opinion before I started this research. It wasn't until I read my research myself <laughs> that I had an opinion and was like, wait a minute. Um, so take this episode as you will take this case as you will, formulate your own opinion, regardless of if you agree or disagree agree with me. I encourage you, though, please, if you if you are interested in this topic, reach out to me. Um, you can go to my website, josephmoronsky.net, fill out a contact form, and I'll get in touch with you. I love talking about this case, regardless of which way you feel. I am not somebody who's going to silence you because you disagree with me. You know, I would love to talk to people about this case, because again, There are differing opinions. It is complex. So reach out to me. Let's hear your thoughts on this case. Uh, And thank you for letting me get out my frustration a little bit there. Uh, But I do appreciate you listening, always supporting the political informant, and have a great week. You have been listening to the political informant, your place for fact-first politics.